Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first of many new bonus episodes coming to Therapy Thursday. I'm so excited for what we're going to be able to be offering you coming up here. Um, we have some amazing interviews that we're going to be doing with uh, just some public figures who have experienced different mental health struggles and victories, uh, and they're going to be sharing their stories with us. I'm so excited to be able to share these with you guys. Um, those will be starting next week. Uh, for today, I wanted to start the bonus episodes off with an address that I gave as the keynote speaker at what was called the Affirmation International Conference. For those of you who don't know, Affirmation is a LGBTQ uh, affirming group uh, that is also aligned with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So it's mostly focused at helping those who either are currently or have been members of this church uh, who are also LGBTQ plus or who have family members who are in the LGBTQ community to be able to find support, uh, to be able to find connection and understanding with each other uh, in a you know sometimes very difficult cross space. So I was able to give this keynote at their conference uh, just uh, about a month ago. And it was such a great experience to be able to give this. And so I wanted to just upload the audio for you guys here to be able to hear it. If you are not a member of the LDS church or uh, not a member of the LGBTQ community, that's really the, the target market for this uh, address. But I think there is still a lot in it for everyone to be able to learn more about how we can better love and support and lift all of those around us. So I hope that you enjoy and look forward to next week. We'll be starting with some of these great interviews coming up. Thanks for being here. Hello, my name is TJ Thomas, and I am so grateful to be able to share my thoughts with you all today. To be perfectly honest, I was surprised when I was asked to be a speaker at this event, and I still feel a bit intimidated by it. But I want to share with you my thoughts and experiences as a mental health therapist, as a bisexual man, and as a Latter-day Saint. My prayer as I prepared this message and in giving it today is to help anyone out there struggling to find themselves at this challenging intersection of faith and identity. Not to prescribe to you any particular path, because I certainly can't answer that for you, but simply to help you know that you are seen, you are loved, and you matter. Like me, many of you have probably heard or been asked a hypothetical question something like this. If there was a big red button sitting right in front of you that would instantly make you straight or cisgendered, would you press it? For years, over a decade in fact, my answer would have been yes, in a heartbeat. I, like so many of you listening, spent countless hours, probably thousands, praying, pleading, and weeping for my tendencies to be taken away. I would have done literally anything to have that button. I spent all those years coming up with justifications for my tendencies, grasping at straws to find some way to explain my feelings, to push them away or write them off. Because to accept that the feelings were actually a part of me would mean that my life was ruined, that no one, not my family, not God, and certainly not myself, would be able to love me. So I buried it as deep as I could. It didn't matter after all, right? Because I still liked girls. Maybe not as much as my roommates or cousins, but still. I just had to get married, have the perfect Mormon family, and never let anyone know my terrible secret. Easy. But I knew that something just wasn't the same. My roommates said I was just too picky about who I dated. I laughed along, hoping they were right, hoping the right girl would show up. I spent hours talking about it with my therapist, hoping that the feelings would go away by resolving my issues with my dad or my issues with porn or anything. I did all the checklist things I thought I should do to fix it. Prayers, scriptures, callings, temple attendance, dates. I pushed as far from anything relating to an LGBTQ identity as I could. Eventually, I just couldn't keep going. 
I was exhausted, angry, and seriously depressed. I told my therapist that I didn't even want to ask the question of if I might be gay because I didn't want to know the answer. She told me, being afraid to ask the question won't change the answer. If you are gay, Heavenly Father already knows that. And if he's loved you all this time, then whatever the answer is won't change how he feels about you. That idea changed everything for me. I started listening to stories from other LGBTQ LDS people and began to see that I wasn't nearly as alone as I thought I was. I soon came out to my parents, then to my siblings, then to my close friends, and eventually everyone. But even then, even with being honest about who I was and knowing that Heavenly Father's love for me hadn't changed, I still was conflicted and confused. I was out, but I didn't know what my life would look like, and that terrified me. I didn't know what I wanted. At some points, I didn't even know if I wanted to live. And I still don't know whether or not I would press that dang button. So when I heard so many other queer LDS people answer that they would absolutely not press it, I felt confused. Mad at myself, even. I had spent years trying to figure out what was wrong with me in terms of my attractions, and now here was another thing that was wrong with me. That even though I was out and advocating for LGBTQ people and working with them as a therapist, I still didn't know, honestly, if I would be able to pass up that button. I still didn't really love who I was. Because the simple, maybe obvious, truth is that it is very hard to have self-worth when you are LGS and LGBTQ. But in that obvious truth is, I think, the biggest issue facing those wishing to find some balance and peace between their LGBTQ identity and their LDS beliefs. I see this core issue of self-worth repeated constantly in my work as a mental health therapist. If I had to guess, I would say that at least 9 out of 10 clients who come into my office for any problem have a core issue of self-worth. This problem comes with many different symptoms and origins, but feeling unlovable, worthless, or unfixable is at the root of almost every single one. In helping both myself and my clients to foster a greater sense of self-worth that is affirming of both a person's faith and a person's authentic self, I found these three points helpful. One, a proper understanding of what it really means to be normal. Two, finding ways that we can identify our inevitable internalized homophobia and transphobia. And three, exploring the implications of God's relationship with time and thus his relationship with us. So, first, I'd like us to examine and come to a better understanding about the truth of what normal really is. As I came out and shared my story with others, I would often hear allies say things like, you are perfect just the way you are. It was a beautiful sentiment, and I know they meant it well, but I just couldn't believe them. There's no way I could be perfect, because I'm not even normal. Perfect would be if I only liked girls and I wasn't attracted to boys at all. Perfect would be that I can keep all the commandments all the time but I can't. No, perfect was out of the question and even normal seemed impossible because normal would mean that I was just like everyone else. So when they would tell me that I'm perfect just the way I am, I would smile and nod, but not really believe them. I mean, how could I? They were just saying it to be nice, but I knew the truth. I was a freak. It was in this state that I had to take a closer look at what I understood normal to actually mean. What is normal? In my mind, I was defining normal as what everyone else has, the average, most common experience. A dictionary told me that normal means the usual, average, or typical state or condition. So, that confirmed it. I was outside the usual, average, or typical. Not normal, therefore not possible to be perfect. But I started thinking a little deeper. What other things are not normal based on that understanding? 
being left-handed, blue-eyed, blonde, being over 6'1", or having a twin, none of those things are normal if we're calling normal the thing that most people experience. I took my thinking another step further. What if being abnormal was not only okay, but amazing? You know who else is not normal? World-renowned musicians, Olympic athletes, genius scientists. These people aren't normal, but they aren't bad. They are renowned, celebrated, and applauded. Their very condition of being outside of the average, usual, or typical is what makes them so great. But still, I couldn't get myself to see my abnormal queer identity in the same positive light as someone with an abnormal skill for music or science. So I returned to the definition. And I recognized that the way I was reading average, usual, or typical was applying that statement to an individual person. But what if I just applied it to a population as a whole? What if any trait that is usual, average, or typical to show up given a certain sized population is what makes it normal? Not just that the most number of people have that trait. And that's when it clicked. This is why being left-handed, blue-eyed, blonde, twins, or over 6'1 is still normal. Because it's not outside of normal conditions within the human genetic makeup. There are expected traits of diversity within the human experience. More rare, sure, but not abnormal. In the same vein, in my profession, things like anxiety, depression, OCD, PTSD, and others are normal because they are common to the human population as a whole and are very natural occurrence during life, not because every single person experiences them. This is how I was able to finally see a way to fully and without reservation state that my being LGBTQ is normal. Sure, it's less common and not everyone experiences it, but that doesn't mean it's abnormal. It is not a defect, not a failing, not an aberrant condition. It is fully 100% typical, average, and usual. And that's great. So just like someone left-handed, tall, blonde, twin, or blue-eyed should not struggle with their self-worth just because they have, had, have a unique but fully normal experience in their life experience, I too could have full confidence that I am normal, healthy, and whole. That there is nothing about being LGBTQ that needs to be changed or fixed. I could finally believe that those friends and loved ones who had spent so long trying to tell me that I am perfect, just the way I am, was true. Second is the importance of recognizing our own internalized homophobia and transphobia. From my personal and clinical experience, one of the biggest challenges to self-worth as LDS LGBTQ is the inevitable internalized homophobia that we experience. Sadly, when you grow up attending a typical LDS congregation, you hear years and years of messages about how being gay isn't normal. And more than that, how it's a threat to the family. How being transgender is just confusion or being deceived. How you can't trust your own feelings because it is just Satan trying to take you. And yes, how we deserve musket fire. It seems that only in recent years have these comments started to be challenged or questioned by anyone, be it general authorities or society at large. I know many of us here were deeply hurt by the remarks made by Elder Holland a few weeks ago. If you want to read my full thoughts on the matter, I shared a very lengthy letter about it on my social media that I invite you to read. We all know how much division and discussion it caused. But I also realized that if Elders Holland's talk had been given just 10 years ago, I don't think anyone would have said anything or batted an eye. So that's good progress. But even so, the decades of homophobic and transphobic comments and messaging have already sunken deep, even if they weren't intentional. They've entangled their roots around our hearts and our minds. 
Trying to get these thoughts and feelings of internalized homophobia and heteronormativity out of our minds can be like performing brain surgery. You have to be careful, gentle, delicate, and deliberate, or you might cause serious harm to other parts of your brain. You must only cut away what needs to be cut or risk losing something precious, maybe your family, your friends, or your faith. But to do that, you have to know where to look and where to cut. The problem is that if internalized homophobia or transphobia is all you've known, it can be hard to even recognize that you're living in it, like a fish unable to comprehend water. With that in mind, I have come up with a thought experiment that I've used with myself and other LGBTQ to identify their own internalized homophobia, as well as working with friends or families of LGBTQ people working to identify their own biases so they can better support their loved one. I'd like us all to try it together. So, let's think of a great scriptural prophet. Let's take Ammon, for example, a strong, powerful missionary and man who converted a nation. You know, plus that awesome arm hacking story. <laughs> I want you to think about your feelings for this man. Is it admiration, pride, respect, wanting to be like him? Now, pay attention to how your feelings shift as I present this possibility. What if Ammon was gay? Yeah, what if Ammon, that great ancient missionary, was sexually, emotionally, or romantically attracted to other men? Did you have any sort of gut reaction? A negative pulling away? Feeling like I was dishonoring him or disrespecting him by suggesting he may have been gay? Does ascribing homosexuality to Ammon make you think or feel less of him? If so, you likely have at least some bit of homophobia in your mind and heart. Because I didn't say anything about his actions. Nothing about same-sex relationships or marriage, only that he may be gay, which even the church has officially stated is not a sin and not a choice. By that most basic premise, I have not ascribed anything to Ammon that would make him sinful or less worthy or less honorable. So what if Ammon was gay? Would that change your view of him? Would that make him less of a great missionary? Would that make him less of a man? Now, some might argue that this is an unfair example because we have no evidence of Ammon's sexual orientation. But we ascribe attributes to ancient prophets all the time with little to no proof of it. One guy decided to paint Abinadi as old, and now that's all we see him as. But there's absolutely zero scriptural evidence that Abinadi was old. He could have been a 19-year-old, which, in fact, to me, would make his story of choosing to be burned at the stake even more powerful. But we don't feel that saying Abinadi was old, despite having no evidence for it, belittles him or takes away anything from his character or his work because we don't attribute being old to being bad, flawed, or sinful. Ammon, on the other hand, said no to his pick of the king's daughters to wife. Could this have been because he wasn't attracted to women and didn't want a wife? Possibly. Possibly not. But the point is that we have a, if we have a problem imagining Ammon might have been gay, that means that we have a problem with gay people. You could do a similar exercise with Joseph in the Old Testament. Maybe Joseph was trans. After all, he literally ran away from a woman who wanted to sleep with him, and his favorite coat was rainbow. Does imagining that this great prophet who saved nations through his spiritual gifts might have been trans make you uncomfortable? If it does, then that is where you can start cutting out the internalized homophobia and transphobia. You can recognize that being LGBTQ is not a character flaw or something to be ashamed of. We can learn to see being gay, bi, trans, or any other part of the LGBTQ spectrum as just another attribute of a person that has no bearing on their worth, worthiness, or righteousness. 
God certainly wouldn't have thought any different of these ancient scriptural prophets had they been LGBTQ. So we shouldn't either. Finally, it's important to question and study how God feels about us as individuals. One of my favorite ways of doing that has been through studying God's relationship with time and going on a bit of a brain-exploding philosophical journey of what the implications of such an existence would be. Firstly, we know from Scripture that God exists outside of time. Alma 40 verse 8 reads, All is as one day with God, and time only is measured unto men. Joseph Smith said it this way, The great Jehovah contemplated the whole of the events connected with the earth before it rolled into existence. The past, the present, and the future were and are, with him, one eternal now. One of my favorite authors understood it. C.S. Lewis had this to say, God is not in time. His life does not consist of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 10.30 tonight, he need not listen to them all in that one little snippet which we call 10.30. 10.30 and every other moment from the beginning of the world is always the present for him. Now, there are many applications of this understanding, from how God could answer and know each individual prayer, to how we should never think we are a waste of God's time because he has infinite of it to spare. But to me, the most important lesson in this study of time is the recognition that God loves me completely, fully, and unconditionally, and that the experiences of my mortal life as time unfurls before me cannot change that. It's not possible. I think about it. If God exists outside of time, then the past, present, and future are all eternally present before him. That means that God knows today, at this very moment, the things that you will do tomorrow and next week and in 10 years. He knows the highest heights you will achieve with your greatest successes, and he knows the lowest and most miserable points of your darkest days. He knows the course of your life, not because it's predetermined for you, but because in some way our mind can't comprehend, he is seeing it all happening right now. I used to be so afraid that God was disappointed in me, especially after I committed a sin that was in any way related to my same gender attraction. But in studying God's relationship with time, I learned something amazing. God can't be disappointed. It's literally not possible because disappointment is defined as sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. God can't be disappointed because he can't be surprised. His expectations can't be unmet because he sees your entire life from start to finish. I don't think we have the words to adequately describe what God feels when he sees us distance ourselves from him. Yearning, sadness, longing, aching, none of them really seem to capture the scope of an infinitely loving and all-knowing God watching his precious children make mistakes that he knows will cause them pain. But I don't believe it's disappointment. Because disappointment is only possible to someone bound by our current perception of time. I believe that the idea that God is disappointed in us is a lie created by Satan to put a wedge between us and our heavenly parents. To drive us away from the very thing that Satan knows will give us the ultimate power over him. Understanding who we truly are and how impossibly and immensely we are adored by God. If you have ever, at any point in your life, felt the Spirit confirming to you the reality of God's love, then you can know with surety that God still loves you today. In that moment when you felt his love, he was simultaneously seeing the worst things you would ever do, and he loved you anyway. In that moment, he was infinitely aware of every aspect of your being, every tendency, temptation, desire, 
thought, orientation, and gender. He was never in the dark about who you are or who you would be. If he loved you in that moment, you can be sure he loves you in this one, because to him, they're the same moment. Like my therapist told me, God knows the answer to the questions you are afraid to ask, and he still loves you. So, yeah, finding self-worth as an LGBTQ and LDS person is difficult, even painful sometimes. But it is certainly possible. Because our worth isn't based on current politics or policies. It isn't even based on what we think of ourselves. It is eternal and immutable, unchanging and more expansive than we could possibly comprehend, because it comes from God. These days, when I think back to the question with that big red button, I will admit that there are still times it would be tempting. It would certainly make my life easier. And that's okay. I'm still on my journey. But I finally have an answer that brings me peace. I would not press the button. Just like I wouldn't press a button if it would make me not LDS. I wouldn't press either button because although they both have presented challenges in different ways, being both LGBTQ and LDS is integral to who I've become. And I really like who I've become. I love the understanding of the plan of salvation I have because of this gospel. I love the relationship I have developed with my heavenly parents and my savior. I love the light and knowledge and truth that I've received thanks to the restoration. Similarly, I love the compassion and empathy that I have gained for all people that came because of being LGBTQ. I love my ability to connect with my heavenly parents on a deeply personal level because I haven't been able to always rely on the answers from church sources. I love so many things about myself, my character, and my personality that are directly connected to being LGBTQ. I know it sounds cheesy, but I feel like my intersection of these two seemingly conflicting worlds is actually like a superpower. It lets me see the world in a way others can't. It lets me do things that others can't. It lets me do good in a way that it is unique to me. I know very well that this doesn't make sense to everyone. Some people, even maybe some of you listening today, or some young people just starting to figure themselves out, can't begin to comprehend how being LGBTQ and LDS could possibly be a good thing. And that's okay. It still confuses me sometimes. Finding our place within the LDS church can be challenging. We don't have all the answers yet. But rather than fret about the answers we don't have, or the people who maybe just don't get it yet, I choose to focus on one thing I know for sure. My worth is infinite and eternal. And so is yours. And because of that, no matter what happens in a BYU speech or a church policy, I can feel the peace of God which passeth all understanding. So I don't have to get it. Because He gets me. Thanks so much again for listening. If you enjoyed this or other episodes of Therapy Thursday, please consider rating and leaving a review wherever you're listening to your podcast. It really, really helps us to be able to get this in front of more people. Of course, remember that this is a podcast, not therapy, and it should not replace any treatment by a licensed mental health care professional. And I invite you to follow me along on my Instagram at TJ Counseling for more mental health tips.